Welcome back to TrekCast, the Real Estate Council's official podcast, coming at you from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for tuning in. Our Commercial Real Estate Executive Roundtable returns today with updates from John Gates of JLL, Craig Hall of Hall Group, and Jeff Tuthill of Ryan LLC. They give a look around the commercial real estate industry as COVID-19 cases surge in DFW, delve into the Federal Reserve's Main Street Lending Program, and analyze the region's local government response to the pandemic. As always, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media so you never miss an episode or update from the Real Estate Council. Now, here's our latest CRE Executive Roundtable right here on TrackCast. This morning I was reading that consumer spending is way above what most most people expected. So it seems to me like the stimulus at least people are not afraid to spend money. Um, And it feels to me like this isn't going to be kind of as bad as perceived. It's not going to be, it's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be choppy, but kind of feels like the consumer is a little bit more confident than we thought going in. Yeah, I think that the numbers say that's bounced for sure. So we had really high savings rates in March and April. And then we, then we see a big bounce, both the, the jobs report in May was super encouraging um, and then consumer spending for sure, but a lot of that's government stimulus. So we're all going to pay more taxes to pay for that. And that's fine. That's what we need to do. But, uh, you know, there's 300,000 people in Dallas proper, not the Dallas area, but Dallas proper that work at businesses that employ fewer than 50 people. And there's a whole bunch of those to talk to somebody who owns a restaurant. Ray, Ray said this nine times on this call. He, he, he can't get to break even until he's 75%. So opening at 50% is not, I mean, a restaurant has to do it, but it's not working. And I, I go buy something at the deli every day when I'm in just to help out instead of taking lunch. Cause I'm, and I've asked them and they said, they're trying to get the 50%. And there's a coffee shop next door and they're the new one and, and they're struggling. And eventually that's going to come home to roost. So we're either going to keep paying stimulus forever, or we've got to put the, you know, uh, 15% or whatever it is of Americans, most of which who work at small businesses back to work and, and on a paycheck is my view. So yeah, that the very encouraging bounce back, but I wouldn't underwrite a V-shaped recovery until um, the Fortune 2000 sends people back to offices. Uh, that, that's my personal view. Um, and are you seeing most people waiting till like late? I, I, we have a bunch of people not coming back till Labor Day or later. I yes. Mean, is that becoming yeah, that's- the norm? Uh, unfortunately, the, a lot of the businesses were open in every every one of our offices in Texas. And again, and, and you have to be careful. And you everyone's wearing a mask. And, and we're kind of about the only company in the building, so the vertical transportation elevators is not a problem because most other companies are not there. Uh, you, you, I would not get above fifty percent occupancy right now. People are respectful about keeping their distance. We've got hand sanitizer all over the place. So I think most of them would say our office space is the safest building they feel like they've been in outside of their home. Uh, but yes, the vast majority of our clients say we'll pick up the discussion, you know, once we get to Labor Day, some have declared probably January. Um, we're all getting on calls when we can with hospital systems. Uh, I was told by the leader of one of the big systems in Dallas that uh, privately Fauci had said he now feels confident we'll get to a vaccination maybe as early as late Q4 and certainly by Q1. I don't know what how long it takes to produce that at scale. 
but that that means you know to get to a, a normal environment with either effective treatments or vaccination just throw out a marker and say it's later in q1 of next uh, year and if big companies intend to allow people to work from home i i don't I, I don't see how you get a steep climb coming out. There, there's no way people are as productive for the most part. Some would be. And again, this I harp on this, but these small businesses that are stuck, uh, I, you know, and it's a lot of jobs in this country, a lot of jobs. Hey, John, this is Michael Dardick. Uh, you know, same for you. In all our buildings, we survey our customers every month, and there's about a 20% occupancy, and I don't even know that it gets to 50% by Labor Day. How much, when you talk to big corporations, is the uh, employer li employee li liability issue driving their decision to stay out versus the actual health issue? Uh, it's probably material, Michael. They don't say that to us necessarily. When you talk to, you know, we, on the occupier side, we, we kind of have two core sets of clients we work with. It's either senior executives or it's a corporate real estate professional. And the corporate real estate narrative is, you know, people are pretty, pretty productive and, and we don't say we can still continue to bank from home or whatever business it is that they're in. Uh, when I talk to C-suite executives, they, they don't like it, but they're probably thinking more about liability. And then you, I think you get peer pressure from your peer set. The, the companies that I see going back, um, are, are more private companies that probably aren't as worried about those kind of things. And I've, in our industry, I've called senior leaders in our industry and said, I don't understand why you guys aren't getting back to the office to set an example that you can create a safe environment there uh, in limited quantities of people. Anybody else have any other questions to ask John? You know, I, I, you know, it just feels to me, I don't think it's going to be a V, but um, it's, it just seems like every day we just get a little bit more momentum, more momentum in our business. I mean, we're still way off, but um, it does feel like people are starting to at least consider doing something, you know? Um, yeah. To be clear, I'm not yeah. doom and gloom. We, we, we clearly see more economic activity. But as I said, we're, we're getting, you know, calls every week to say, hey, we're going to get back to this transaction. So, so it's no longer on hold and it, it's hard to work, but it, it'll be, I think it'll be somewhat gradual as, as that happens, but yeah, very clearly, um, you know, restaurants are starting to do more business, but it's, it's still a struggle. Country clubs are doing a great business. Go to my club on the weekend and people think this thing is over. <laughs> You're right about that. You know, you know yeah. and we, and we, we are small compared to the people on this call, but we don't have one company in our buildings that's restacking it. They're just kind of, um, they are staggering people coming and going to work, but nobody has made the move to spread out yet. And uh, so, you know, maybe they think this vaccine is going to allow us to just go back to normal. It'd be great if we could. Yeah, that's very typical of what we see. As I said, people aren't changing design standards. Even it's, you know, you're, you're doing construction's moving along. 80% of our projects are still moving, and that's a that's a really good thing. We're actually starting to bid more construction projects, so there's a clear expectation that late in the year people are going to kind of get back to it. I would just like to see us do it where we can safely a little faster. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Craig, um, we, um, Linda, do you want to tee up your conversation before Craig talks just about, cause you had talked to Tim Byrne about, about this issue. Sure. Um, so all of you know that Tim Byrne's on the real estate roundtable and, 
uh, I reached out to him uh, about uh, the Main Street program that uh, Craig is going to speak about just to see exactly where they stand because we had been told by NAOP that they weren't really lobbying for it. Um, and um, so Tim sent me the documents that uh, Real Estate Roundtable sent to Congress and it's pretty high level and I'm happy to share it with all of you. Craig's uh, document also goes into a lot more detail and a lot more um, information regarding how they can make it better. But I do think that there is enormous opportunity for the industry for us to uh, get together and really get these industry organizations to get behind some of Craig's suggestions because it would really be a game changer for uh, what, what is going to be coming down the pike. So um, if, if, if that works for you, Craig, I'll leave it to you for you to um, speak up. And if anybody would like me to send them those documents, I'm happy to do that. Just um, send, send a note to me through chat. Let me just start with a little background. The Main Street Lending Program is part of the CARES Act. And it was uh, Congress's intention from people I've talked to when they passed it, that this was part of the arsenal of things that they were giving to uh, the Federal Reserve and Treasury to help um, solve the, the uh, problems in the wake of the coronavirus. And the first program that really came out that got a lot of publicity was PPP. And um, some of what happened in PPP reflects on what's going on in Main Street Lending. Um, let me just briefly tell you about the program and then go into the politics of it. Some of what I, I think Linda was talking about um, in terms of the real estate roundtable and so on. Um, the, the program uh, was intended to be uh, $600 billion initially with an ability to expand it if necessary. Um, it's part of, for the Federal Reserve, uh, their authorization under what's called 13.3, which is basically the Federal Reserve can be the lender last resort, but they're not supposed to lose money. And they take that very seriously. Uh, Congress enabled this act. And so the way they work with Treasury is, Treasury is putting 75 billion into the 600 million, which is, they call it the equity of, of this program. And that's what they're able to lose without being criticized. Uh, uh, in addition, they're able to lose the interest. They, they're, their mandate is they're supposed to break even at the end of the day on the program. Um, they started out with three lending facilities uh, and every, everything in government, I don't want to bore everybody to death, but it's all about initials. So each of these programs have their initials. One of them uh, is basically a up to $25 million program for people that are new to the bank. Another one is for existing customers. And another one is now up to $300 million for um, extending loans uh, to existing customers. So let's say you had um, five existing loans with uh, five different banks. You could extend them, raise the size, do all kinds of things up to uh, $300 million. The programs came out mid-April in one week, and I didn't even know about the programs at the time. They got 2,200 letters, uh, and then they stopped the comments. Since then, they did a 19-page report on April 30th uh, called Frequently Asked Questions. That was followed uh, May 27th with a, uh, let's see how big, it's like a 58-page report, 56 pages. And um, in each of these reports and in each of the programs, they um, 
designed a program that has so many, none of us, I think, on the phone would have done what they did. It, it seems like some PhD who worked on the staff of one of the governors must have used all of what they learned in, in college to make this restrictive and complicated. But, but putting that aside, um, they did a program that must work for some industry. I can't figure out. Clearly, it's not any industry that has asset base. So basically, the program is you take in one of the facilities, it's four times, and now in two of the others, it's six times your last year's EBITDA, so 2019 EBITDA. That's the good news. The bad news, then you subtract all of your debt, whether it's standing or just uh, uh, lines of credit, you subtract all of your debt. And you can figure out the numbers for a real estate company taking four times or six times EBITDA less all your debt means you don't qualify. They understand that. They have a point which in both of their write-ups is called E.7. I, I, I was going to read it, but I'll, I'll, I'll just paraphrase it and say that they get it that, that they they didn't take care of what they call asset-based businesses. And Jay Powell has said in uh, his press conferences that they understand that they're not there yet with the Main Street lending program. But it's my observation they don't really want to get there either. And um, I, I, I think that gives you enough of a little background. Uh, let, let, let me tell you a little more about the, the, some of the details. Every one of these are somewhat similar, but they're, they're five-year loans, they're three over LIBOR, so it's not cheap, cheap money, but it's reasonably priced uh, with no payback the first year, then you pay back interest, then you start paying back principal in the last three years. Um, again, they went really into a lot of detail. They are gonna facilitate the program similar to how they did PPP through the uh, federal banking system. Um, they had at one point some of the programs where the banks would hold 15%. Now, the most recent programs, all three of the facilities, they call them, the banks only hold 5%. So 95% of the loans are funded by the 600 billion. And the 600 billion will be administered by what they call a special purpose vehicle, which is a, a big pot of money that's gonna be administered by uh, the Boston Federal Reserve. There's a lot of smart things in the program and the program has a lot of good potential um, as, as we've observed in, in uh, Hall Park and as um, uh, you know, many of you I'm sure have observed and ties with what John, John was saying, it's the smaller medium-sized companies that don't have uh, a lot going for them right now. The, the, um, uh, he helped the really, really small guys, but the ones just above that, you know, we, we bailed out the big, big uh, airline problems. Uh, it's this vast, small and medium size that uh, is having some issue with credit. So how do we get um, asset-based companies to into the um, program? Um, my uh, observation is um, that you propose something specific and you keep it simple and you do as much as possible uh, along the lines of what they've done. So you don't criticize, I'm not criticizing publicly what they've done. I'm saying here's two other facilities that could be lookalikes to two of your current facilities, but take away the EBITDA test and put in a 75% loan to value test and put in a 70% loan to the entity test so that it's, you're not loaning to a zombie company, you're not loaning to something that's for sure a disaster, but 
has some more relevance to uh, normal industry standards. Uh, and then I had to, there's a lot of detail in what they wrote, so I uh, changed some of the definitional things that relate to how they, they do it. I, I really spent a lot, a lot of effort on this, got a lot of help from some uh, uh, different, different people with a lot more knowledge than I have. Uh, happy to send that to anyone. I then started talking to, um, uh, I won't name names, uh, senators and, and uh, uh, congresspeople. And basically, the takeaway I got from the people who are really supportive and want to make a difference here is that um, Powell felt kind of beat up on the PPP. Uh, Andy's concerned about 13.3. So he's kind of waiting to see if the economy gets better on its own. Treasury, I got less feedback. I don't really know exactly what their motivations are, but I got some very clear feedback that um, what it takes to make things happen is not, uh, a, a, it has to be very specific like I've done. They, they like that. Uh, people who have read it in government think it's really the right direction but they like to hear it from big organizations that have lots of members and have a board of directors. I think the letter that, Linda, you were probably talking about, I've got a copy of, and it's really not a great letter because it doesn't say, it says we don't like this, we don't like that. It, it's a whiny, uh, single space, four page letter that just whines and whines and says, oh, the world should be different. And we and our board of directors think uh, we should have nicer things for us. And it doesn't say fix this one thing or fix these two or three things. It doesn't, it, it, and, and it doesn't say we've spent a lot of time and effort on it. And here's what, what I've been amazed at is how um, lacking the lobbying efforts are for uh, an industry that represents a trillion, uh, twenty trillion dollars of, of assets in commercial real estate and. Uh, it's just been shocking to me to see. I've never, I've never gotten interested in in anything like this before. And and you know, if the economy starts really picking up steam, I think this goes nowhere. If things slide when they uh, stop some of the other programs or slow down, I think this would be vital. Uh, it also depends a little bit on the banks, but in general, we do a lot of uh, be between our lending business that we leverage and and other real estate things. We have 37 banks we do business with. Most of them, the smaller ones are actually starting to loan at really high rates. The bigger guys are saying, I don't know how to price risk. And this helps them price risk. And it, and it puts a lot, you know, $600 billion is not chump change. It puts a lot of money into the market. Uh, anyway, that's, that's what's going on. If anyone wants to uh, get my write-up, uh, let me know or Linda know. I'm happy to send it to anyone. Uh, if anyone has any ideas, happy to hear about them. If anyone has questions, I'm open for questions. Craig, this is Bill. My, my, I think we sent your right. I'm not there. hearing. Hey, it? Ellen, I need help again. I can't hear did, the question. Linda, didn't we? Did we send it to everybody? Uh, we did not send it to everyone, but I've, I've started sending it out. So I also, Craig, I sent the... <laughs> I uh, sent your write-up to Tim Byrne so he could share it with the Real Estate Roundtable and hopefully uh, they can make some um, headway with it. I, I think he would welcome a call from you because he was very interested in your comments. Okay. Hey, Craig, have you thought about or have you already done getting this Durban Land Institute and NAOP that have massive lobbying forces up on the hill and work on this stuff all the time? 
again, I'd again, love to talk to my team. Nayup wrote a letter with the Real Estate Roundtable, and it was really not a very um, effective letter. So, uh, Michael, uh, early on when this first, when Craig first brought this to our attention, we reached out to Nayup to find out where they were nationally. And to be honest with you, that then this was several weeks ago, um, maybe even a month, they said it was DOA. So they weren't putting a lot of effort into it. So I think you know someone who's in a leadership role there. Maybe you could get them um, poke, poke yeah. the bear a little bit. Okay, thank you, Craig. So one of the issues that a lot of people have been discussing or, or asking us to cover, Lucy was one of the first, is this property tax issue. I mean, car sales are down, gas sales are down. Everything is getting pounded as far as from, you know, uh, car sales and percentages and oil production, hotel occupancy tax, alcohol tax. So we've got Jeff Cuthill that's on to kind of give us an overview of kind of where we stand and uh, what he sees and maybe uh, give you an opportunity to ask some questions there. Jeff? And I did, Jeff, I did send all of your documents out to everyone who's on the call. So you have the documents in your email inbox, but uh, Jeff, if you want to show anything, let us know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I need to. I, I, you know, what I would say is those documents I sent out uh, for frame of reference are some internal um, training documents, if you will, for our people as we were dealing with issues that we saw in certain industries. And then, you know, kind of the big issue in property tax, um, you know, and, and, and it's an issue in appraisal in general where you have a, a valuation date that may or may not encompass what we're dealing with now. And I guess I'll start off by just speaking to, I think there were some questions from Lucy maybe and some others on budgets, state budgets, state and local budgets, and what we're seeing there. And, and there's, there's some decent news in Texas. Uh, I asked some of our folks in Austin, you know, what they're seeing and, you know, what could we expect to see here in Texas? And they do not think that there's going to be, you know, what, what I would term massive budget cuts uh, in Texas. They do see that there's probably going to be some policy changes introduced in, uh, in the next session, especially if uh, tax revenues are still depressed as we go on into next year. And so with that, they do expect that the state uh, will need to pull some money out of the uh, economic stabilization fund. And the good news there is the fund is very healthy. And if the economy does pick up, and we expect Texas to be one of the least impacted states um, as we come out of this disaster. Um, and so in comparison, there's many states that we see that do not have a healthy rainy day fund, and they're going to be forced to make significant budget cuts immediately. And, you know, you've probably seen it in the news. That includes Illinois, New Jersey, New York, Michigan, and um, North Carolina. And then, um, you know, here, here locally and in, in the state of Texas, as it relates to um, property tax, um, probably one of the bigger issues from a budgetary standpoint is once the governor declared a disaster, um, it enacted um, 
the or it, it allowed taxing entities to go back to the old what we term as the rollback rate. So in in the last session, uh, Senate Bill Two um, limited uh, revenue increases to three and a half percent. Big victory for the taxpayers in Texas. And now with this disaster, they're allowed to go back to the eight and a half percent rollback rate. Now, you've probably seen in the news, the governor is strongly discouraging taxing entities from uh, going over the three and a half percent, but they're, they're certainly allowed to, and there may be, you know, you, there was already a city council meeting, I think in Dallas about it. Um, you know, they haven't come to any decisions. Some of the notices that we've seen, most of, most of them have been from school districts, have been somewhat encouraging and they're, they're holding the line on tax rates thus far. Um, you know, the, right now when they're looking at the values and what the appraisal districts have put out, you know, oddly enough, there's pretty big increases. Um, obviously, we don't think that's gonna hold, uh, at least for commercial property. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens in the fall, but they do have the opportunity to go back to that old rollback rate, which, which would be bad. You know, and I guess what I would focus on really the number one issue we, we are fighting in the property tax arena is, is the, the lien date issue. And, you know, here in Texas, the assessment date or lien date is January 1, 2020. And I guess our, our number one argument to start off with is it's called COVID-19, not COVID-20. Um, you know, this pandemic did start in China last December, maybe earlier. Um, but with that, um, you know, we've been in these these changing circumstances before, and I can tell you in every other cycle, you know, we can see these, these downward trends coming, and they have always allowed us to make adjustments um, in our valuation models to account for some of these extraordinary items. Now, what we've seen thus far early on in, 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 in our Texas appeal season is they're trying to hold the line and not include, a, you know, in, in essence, value these properties as if nothing's going on, which is really, you know, disappointing, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, you know, and they're going to, they're probably going to see record litigation if, if this continues. Um, particularly in the retail and hospitality sectors. Um, as you guys are probably painfully aware, it's pretty bad. I mean, what we're seeing is, is really devastating and it speaks to, I think it was John's comments on small businesses. I mean, I've been driving a lot of the, the retail centers just to kind of see what's going on and it's, it's, it's pretty depressing. Um, and so, um, you know, having most of these jurisdictions hold the line and have significant increases year over year, um, you know, has, has made it tough on taxpayers. Um, and so what I included is, is some talking points that we, we gave our people nationally to deal with that issue. And, um, 
you know, some of the bigger signs we saw, um, you know, was a downward trend in treasury yields early in the year. That's been helpful. Um, some of the press clippings of the virus being discovered by Chinese scientists back in December, things of that nature. Um, but it's really going to just take a forceful appeal position and, and just see it through um, to a resolution. Um, you know, around here, I would say, you know, Tarrant County thus far has probably been uh, the most taxpayer friendly, which is odd. It's usually not that way. They're they're listening to arguments. Then Dallas has been okay. I mean, Dallas is, has a history of being pretty taxpayer friendly, but they're trying to hold the line somewhat. And then you have Collin County, who um, is acting as if you know thing it, it, we're still in the upward trend. I mean, um, you know, it's going to be a pretty pretty big fight up there for the most part. And, you know, I don't know that they've acknowledged what's going on, especially in a couple of the more difficult sectors. And then Denton County, they've had a lot of personnel changes, but it's pretty much business as usual. Um, and they're, they're gonna make uh, the adjustments we think. So that's what's going on in the metro area for the most part thus far. As far as timelines, you know, Colin, has been pushed back probably 60 days. Um, for example, our board hearings are not until early to mid-August. Dallas is trying to keep their typical timeline, uh, but I think it's gonna be difficult as we get closer to actual ARB hearings or appraisal review board hearings. Um, you know, you know this will be their, everybody's first time to try to do Zoom style hearings uh, if you choose to go along with the Zoom hearing. Uh, so I would guess they'll be 30 to 45 days out from from a typical timeline uh, of certifying the tax roll, which we'll see what kind of strain that does put on the budgets. You know, Terrence on the schedule, you know, uh, we're almost done. Uh, I think next week we'll be done with all our appeals in Tarrant County. And so they've pushed hard to, to maintain the schedule. They really, they only changed or extended the deadline 15 days. Uh, and it's kind of that way across Texas. You know, down in Houston, uh, they tried to stay on schedule. Uh, uh, Bear County in San Antonio as well, Travis. So, you know, they've, they've maintained their schedules for the most part. And what we have found is working uh, through email hasn't been too bad. I mean, we've been delivering valuation analysis kind of on a weekly basis and, you know, discussing values with appraisers via email. And um, it's been pretty efficient. Um, you know, instead of waiting in line or whatever down at the appraisal district, you know, we drop it off and then, you know, start um, trading values via email. Um, and, you know, maybe that's a new trend we'll see in the future, a little more efficient, informal negotiation process from uh, a bunch of the districts. You know, something so, else. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to ask a question, but go ahead. Finish your thought. Uh, there was one other 
big issues that you may have seen there was you know in, in 2019 largely uh, due to dissatisfaction from the lack of relief at Hurricane Harvey uh, they passed a disaster exemption uh, the statute uh, tax code 1135 and you may have seen some scuttlebutt on that and it actually does allow for um, a disaster declared due to a pandemic. And in a tier one exemption, it talks about not having physical damage. And that would allow for a 15% exemption. If you can prove between 15 and 30% economic damages as a result of the, the disaster. Well, uh, Senator Betancourt asked for an attorney general opinion on the statute and does it apply, you know, to this situation and, you know, no physical damage. And the attorney general issued a very quick opinion saying it does not apply. And we think it's going to be tested. Um, you know, the statute reads like it should apply. In our opinion, um, it's probably a long shot that anyone grants it before it, and it take, taking the issue to court. Um, but that's something out there as well. You would think the guys in the in retail and hotels would blow right past that 15 percent. You know, It'd yeah, be easy it, to quantify. I would think. I think. I don't. I don't know how you you cr uh, come up with true value of anything today with what's going on. Does anybody here have any questions? Lucy, do you have any, any questions about what he discussed? I, I guess not. The um, fear is self-evident in the increases. Um, and I'm pleased to hear that these online negotiations are handling and being processed in a pretty successful way. My fear there was it's really easy to say no to somebody at a distance. Um, and um, so that, uh, and, and I guess on a different point, the same thing is happening to us in insurance rates. So that might be a, a topic for the future. But, you know, taxes have grown on our apartments in such a way that with all the increases in rental rates, our, um, bottom line has not increased at all. So I really appreciate this presentation. Thanks. Anybody have any other questions? Jeffrey, I appreciate it very much. That was great information. Um, it always excites me to end anything quickly or in a shorter time than expected. So I appreciate everybody. Anybody that has a subject that they'd like to have covered on this call, please email me or text me. Uh, we want to keep these calls relevant and informative, and we'll stop as soon as they're not. So I hope everybody has a good day. Thank you. That's it for today's show. I'd like to thank all of the executives who joined the conversation, and in particular, John Gates, Craig Hall, and Jeff Tuthill for their presentations. Be sure to subscribe to TrackCast on your preferred podcast app, and follow Track on social media for the latest news and updates. Once again, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.